0: Welcome to Casual Percolator. I'm Dave Busing, founder and chief of Today we're going to talk about the eight million new X-Men comics that came out today, as well, possibly as some Eternals, maybe some other Marvel news stuff going on in the comics book sphere. Whatever questions you guys want to talk about, get them in in the chat, and I will address as many of them as possible. I'm seeing already that some bets are being placed on how many drinks of water I'm going to take during this conversation. Uh, at whatever the number is set at, whatever the line is set at, take the over, okay? Take the over. Talking for talking for five minutes is a lot for me. <laughs> talking for an hour plus nonstop by myself about X-Men comics, I am drained. I practically pass out after this, except that's not an option when you have little kids. A little spoiler alert there. For those of you without children. But no, today we're gonna talk about X-Men comics. We're gonna talk about all the fun stuff that came out today. We had X-Men Red number two. We had Immortal X-Men number two. We had New Mutants number 25. Welcome back, new mutants. Uh, there was also technically an X-Force and Wolverine issue today. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time talking about those. Don't have a lot to say, uh, but definitely getting questions if they are pertinent or interesting. Again, chat is open. I'm gonna be checking questions as I go. Uh, super chat is open and available if you can. Uh, and are interested in supporting Compa herald endeavors and want to do a super chat super appreciated thank you so much and i will prioritize those questions okay otherwise i will get to them as i see them and as we are interested stay hydrated that's right i'm seeing that in the chat and it's just listen it's just good advice listen i slug several of these hulk-sized nalgenes every day every day big water guy over here man do i love water one of listen Okay, Big Water got to me. <laughs> they've they've been emailing. They've been trying to get on the stream. The stream's picking up. We get a lot of new viewers every week, right? People are interested in the comic Carol channel. Like, listen, I'm a, I'm a hot commodity, right? You have a thriving comics media empire here. Big Water's after me. They're trying to get these ads. I got to do this stuff, right? I got to get these drinks going. So, all right, keep tabs on how many drinks we have today. Otherwise, we're going to be talking X-Men comics. And, uh, and I think I'm going to start today. I'm going to start with my favorite. X-Men comic of the day not my favorite comic of the day mind you that was Eternals number 12 which never never in a zillion years would I have believed that on a day with eight zillion X-Men comics during the Krakoa era which I am very invested in that Eternals would remain my favorite series time and time again but Karen Gillan, Isad the whole team they're doing it this was the final chapter in the Hail Thanos arc this is going to build and set the stage for Judgment Day. I've said it before, and I will say it again here. Judgment Day is going to be pretty good. It's going to be a decent event. Pay attention to what's going to happen there. I know, event fatigue, it's real. I get it. I understand it. I'm in it. Listen, I'm in it more than you are, okay? I'm putting together the reading orders for events on comicbookherald.com with every tie-in in chronological order. I'm trying to dictate when and you know tie-ins are relevant or are not relevant. I'm in it. I get it, (laughs) right? And I get that fatigue as well. I think Judgment Day is going to be pretty good. The other thing it's going to be is Judgment Day is going to be real big. Judgment Day is going to be big, okay? And this makes me nervous. This makes me nervous. I think in recent years, comics publishers have started to get a feel for the fact that events should be a little bit tighter. They should be a little less sprawling. They should be less annoying, basically. Don't make people pick up 50 tie-ins for Dark Reign, right? And that series didn't do that. It has very specifically designated Dark Reign, you know, tie-ins, right? It doesn't interrupt too many books, with some exceptions, right? Like with Spider-Woman, Moon Knight had an idea for it, this and that, right? Judgment Day is going to do it. It's going to do the whole tie-in thing. It's tying into Amazing Spider-Man we've seen, because Wells has X-Office ties. It's tying into, uh, obviously, all the Gillen-written stuff, Immortal Act, all the X-Books, right? are, of course, going to cross over with this in ways that make sense. Like, I'm not—it's giving me a little pause because the broader the reach, the more tie-ins, just the harder it is to pull off, like, a great-feeling event. When I think about my favorite events of all time, it can go either way. Like, Dark Knight's Metal, on the DC side, one of my favorites, the Snyder and Capulot, the first one, not Death Metal, okay? The first metal, very good, very tight, very targeted, specific tie-ins— to build out what they're doing there with that story. But then you can go the other way with 2015 Secret Wars. Massive, massive. And the tie-ins aren't really tie-ins as part of the story so much as just different visions into Battleworld and different attempts at stories and just kind of letting creators run free. And that I had a blast with that one too, right? So it can work. But then if you look at the more famous examples throughout the 2000s, Civil War, Dark Reign, um, Secret Invasion, it's just, it's the thing where you're going to get a super mixed bag. You're going to get a super mixed bag when you have hundreds of comics all tying in to tell a certain story. Generally, it's just going to be driven by creative unit and by whatever's going on with that team at that time on that book, right? But it's not all going to work, right? So you're really just going for a high batting average when you have that many books involved. You're not going for, like, a genuinely good experience (laughs) across all of them. You know, you're going to have some duds. So anyway, I'm, I'm not too worried about it yet, but it is... Growing, It is expanding. Um, and that makes me a little nervous. But the Amazing Spider-Man piece of it, and we talked about this last week, the Amazing Spider-Man piece of it with Zeb Wells being involved, we saw in the Free Comic Book Day issue that, okay, Madeline Pryor's playing a role here. We got some stuff with the Goblin Queen and Ben Reilly. Um, that crossover, I'm I'm interested in now, right? I think that's a good fit. And I, I said this last week, but it's like, if Spider-Man's not going to get sort of that wholly unique Hox Pox refresh, for the character and for the Spidey mythos themselves, then if you can't beat them, join them. Come on into the experts, right? Let's figure out how we get Spider-Man involved with the broader Krakoa implications of the Marvel universe. Okay. I'm seeing a couple super chats come in here. We got one for the Hulk jug. Thanks so much there. And uh one just saying we appreciate it. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Um, and today should be fun. Should be fun to go through because we got a lot of X-Men to talk about, all right? Uh okay, so X-Men Red Number 2, writer Al Ewing, art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Federico Blee, colors by Corey Pettit. All right. Uh, This was my favorite X-Book of the day. It was. And it was my favorite, I think, for all the same reasons that I thought the first issue was quite good, which is Ewing is a master of spinning plates. There's a lot of character work going on here. There's a lot of individuals involved. And it continues to be just the general premise here, right? X-Men Red is about the most fertile, most interesting territory in this Krakoa era, which is all the mutants on Mars, right? The mutants have taken over Mars. It's now planet Araco. It's the capital of the Soul system. That's the most interesting thing in this X-Men era right now, because it is the newest and it has been explored and fleshed out the least. Ewing's the right person to do it. And right off the bat, right off the bat, you can see, honestly, like the thing that Al Ewing does better and throughout his Marvel career, has done better than literally anyone, okay? And that is the mastery of weaving continuity into a story. Here we have mastery of a retcon with Vulcan's continuity flubs. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about Vulcan, the third Summers brothers, the the one who has been uncharacteristically funny, and very drunk (laughs) throughout basically the entire Hickman run on X-Men, he is always partying at the Summer House with Petra and Sway, who are two characters that also were part of his secret original X-Men team from Deadly Genesis, written by Ed Brubaker. Uh, They were killed on this secret first mission to Krakoa, if you've read Deadly Genesis. But the the implication in the Hickman X-Men run was like, hey, we have resurrection protocols on Krakoa. They're back. But then the twist that Hickman was going to get to, and which we see delivered here in a different fashion in X-Men Red number two, and hey, heads up, spoiler alert, <laughs> okay? I'm going to talk about all these comics as if you've read them, or as if you don't care to hear the details, or if you don't mind, okay? So spoiler alert for what happened in these comics. Um, the twist that Hickman was setting up, and he revealed this on, on his interview with J. Miles Explained the X-Men, was that... Uh, Volk, it was going to be like Petra and Sway were all in his head. Okay. He was six sensing us. Um, that was not, they were not really there. Uh, they had not actually been uh, reconstituted through resurrection protocols, perhaps because maybe they were, they were killed prior to um, uh, Cerebro making a backup. Right. And it only became possible now with what they're calling, I think they're calling it the waiting room, which is what Wanda gave them, what the Scarlet Witch gave them at the end of uh, Trial of Magneto, which is basically like, you can resurrect anybody. It doesn't matter when they were backed up, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But that was the twist. It was going to be like, they're not real, except there was a script error that Hickman put in there that um, had Havoc reference them. Havoc referenced them as if he could see them. And then that kind of undid the whole bit. Because if you have another character talking about them, you can't then reveal they weren't there later. Okay. L. Ewing <laughs> looks at all that, and says, Oh yeah, yeah, never mind that misstep, never mind that that editorial oversight um I'm gonna do it anyway I'm gonna fix it anyway puts in a data page about how everyone's kind of known this and they've been kind of teasing like yeah we even pretended you know with the holographic Petra and sway that they were out there to try to, to try to help Vulcan through this you know clear like mental health crisis he's going through like he makes it all work it's so cool it's so fun incredibly smart stuff um just to make the bit of Petra and sway not being real still work you know and what that does what that indicates is Vulcan's not put together especially well right now. And we've seen this teased in the previous X-Men run as well. I think it's one of the most interesting, yet sadly dropped, or, or prior to this point dropped, threads of the Hickman line. Hickman spent several issues on the saga of Vulcan and on the fact that he was seemingly dead at the end of War of Kings, that he actually never died because these external aliens, I shouldn't say external, because that's an actual Marvel thing, Um, these alien creatures, maybe from the Cancerverse, maybe from somewhere else, I don't think we have confirmation on any of that, they, like, found his body, and they repurposed him, and they've sent him all these weird messages, and they're like, we're gonna, you know, you're gonna seem like you're normal, but really, the real you is gonna be hiding underneath. The real him, the real Vulcan, the real Gabriel Summers, still is Emperor Vulcan, he's a monster. <laughs> he's the worst, okay? If you haven't read the Emperor Vulcan era, which is late 2000s X-Men stuff, you have the Ed Brubaker written on Canny X-Men. It's a story arc called The Rise and the Fall of the Shi'ar Empire. That sets the stage for literally an Emperor Vulcan mini. Then, like I said, the War of Kings stuff. You know, if you're doing the Marvel Cosmic Joint from the late 2000s, and there's a great reading order on Comic Herald, if you just Google Cosmic you know, Marvel Cosmic Reading Order, you'll find it. Um, you go Annihilation, to Annihilation Conquest, to War of Kings, to Realm of Kings. You get some good Vulcan stuff in there, okay? And you get a lot of good comics. Love that Marvel Cosmic era. But that's that's the real Vulcan. He's a monster. <laughs> He's horrible. He's like the worst of the worst of Roman empires uh, emperors, but, you know, brought into space, into Shiar territory. That character's been hidden, and that's been fun. That's been fun to have goofy, bro-y, drunk Vulcan. But we are seeing now... Emperor Vulcan is returning. And the way that they're doing that, the way that they're making that work is really fun. (laughs) It's really smart. And it's, honestly, it's time. Like, it is time to see what's the deal with these aliens that grabbed Vulcan. What's the deal with his uh, um, hidden personality now coming to the surface? You know, and we see that here. Like, he is full of rage. He is seeing people that don't exist. He is getting wrecked by Storm, (laughs) which was wonderful. Uh, Great. Listen, I I don't think it's going to come as a surprise to any Al Ewing fans out there, of which there are many. But uh, this is going to be a good run for Storm, okay? This is going to be great. She gets some pretty incredible moments in the first and second issue here. I'm really digging her showing up with what she's calling the Brotherhood of Araco to counter Abigail Brand's lead version of X-Men Red um and Storm the omega level mutant with training with experience Rex another omega level mutant Vulcan uh i, I got to say like there, i've seen i i think people get caught up in the the who would win stuff in comics. A lot of times, you know, we got two omega-level mutants. Really, their power sets—like the one of them should not just fall out of the battle so easily. I gotta say, I never really care about that stuff. I care more about well, what does it actually tell us about the storytelling? What does it actually tell us about the narrative we're trying to weave here? And in this instance, it's clear we're trying to weave the narrative. That Storm is way more in control and knows how to play this game than Vulcan, who is out of control. He is out, he has no purpose, he has no direction, he is out of control, right? And I think on that level it works incredibly well until you know Abigail Brand is getting her fingers, she's getting her her tendrils into Vulcan, and she is going to direct him. You know, she is going to point him as a weapon, as part of her schemes, which are varied and sinister. And, uh, and we still don't really know what they are. You know, Abby is playing every side right now, right? She is playing Krakoa. She is playing Orcus. But she is not aligned with either of them. And I I think Ewing needs to deliver a bit of a punch with Brand, either in the third, somewhere in this first arc, somewhere in what would ultimately become like the first collected volume. I want to see the delivery of what is Brand actually planning? I think if we drag this out too long, it's going to get annoying, okay? I don't think we can slow play this too long. I want to see what is Brand actually trying to get to because she's one of the most important characters in this whole thing, right? Abigail Brand is the only character, to my knowledge, who is playing both Krakoa and Orcus, you know? She's the only character who's doing that. Uh, she's incredibly interesting, incredibly important. Even just her her aims on Mars... You know, her goal originally was like, she wants a, she wants a Rocco off Mars. She wants it for her own purposes. She wants these mutants chased back to Amonth, the dimension where Apocalypse still is in his little family after uh, Ten of Swords, right? That we see that here in one of the data pages. That's what she actually wants. What she did not count on is how flipping cool Storm is. <laughs> like that's basically it. Like basically the, the impediment to her plans is Storm rules. Um, and that's blocking her from getting what she wants. And that's interesting, right? That That's development. But again, we don't, I don't at least know what is that thing that she actually wants yet. Uh, so I do want to see more on that. You know, and it's interesting here too, like we're already seeing builds. We see Manifold, a character that Ewing wrote quite well in Sword, seeing through Abby Brand's ruses right away, right? You know, she's like, hey, join my X-Men Red. And uh, he's like, "I I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of that. I can see... You know, all this stuff is happening too conveniently, these problems outlining you mysteriously throwing uh, Henry Gyrick out of an airlock, you know, or or then denying it and all this stuff. Um, And Manifold has a very funny line, which is basically like, I don't know, I'll just go hang out with the Avengers or something, which is a callback to uh, during the Hickman era, he was on the Avengers. Um, so I, I, do like the idea of the Avengers being the X-Men's fallback school, right? Like, like if you're a mutant and you're kind of like, you, you're not feeling what's going on in Krakoa, you're like, ah, I guess I'll go avenge or something. Like I could, I'll step back for a minute, consider what I really want to do while I avenge. Uh, that does work pretty well. But yeah, so you got the X-Men Red, the X-Men of Mars, the brand is setting up. You're going to have Mentalo, Frenzy, Random, and Cable. Uh, not totally clear on WizKid's involvement, uh, after S.W.O.R.D. Um, and maybe he's a part of this, maybe he's not. But like, yeah, that's the X-Men Red team. So you're going to have them kind of at odds with the Brotherhood of Araco, who, you know, the Storm-led team is actually trying to connect to and understand the people of Araco, right? And that's where I think this book can really thrive is we have all these new mutants and they are living on Mars and they come from this warring culture and X-Men Red the idea that Brand is positing is basically just like a police watch force. And we see the questions asked here, like, why do we even think we need that? <laughs> Are the, the Iraqo people aren't asking for this. Like, why do we think they need that? Storm's trying to go about it differently. And, and she said now on both issues, you know, no kings, right? No kings, no queens on Iraqo. They're not going to be ruled that way. Um, so, so that stuff is interesting. And I, I think there's some meta commentary that, you know, on a political nature that is interesting as well. Um, uh, there's one big thing here. There's a few big things, actually. Okay, so before we get to the progenitors, which I have a bit to talk about. um, So we got Max the Fisherman. (laughs) uh, He shows up. He's just like a cool guy who likes to fish. He's in the first issue, kind of befriends Magneto. He shows up here with that team. We see a reference here. So like the people of Araco, this like artist community that they go and rescue, um, they know him, right? They're familiar with him. And there's a reference to him being like, the. it's not the Midnight King because that means other stuff, right? Midnight King is like what Higman calls Black Bolt. but like he's like the ruler at midnight or some sort of language like that. It made me wonder, isn't there a Midnight Council on Araco? right? So we got the Great Ring, the counter to Krakoa's um, uh, Quiet Council. Isn't there a Midnight Wing that we've never seen? You know, we got three redacted individuals. Uh, what if Max is one of those? What if Max is actually our first member of the Midnight Council or whatever the actual terminology is. I could be getting that off a little bit. Um, I'm digging that. I'm digging that idea, right? Just seems like he likes to fish, but really he's like insanely influential on Arako because he's part of this secret ruling body, you know? So so that's one theory. I'm throwing that out there now just because they use the language of Midnight. Um, and, and the plan by the end of this, uh, after Storm shows up and just is straight up the coolest, is uh, Abby's going to point Vulcan to try to kill Tarn the Uncaring to get onto the Great Ring? So Abigail Brand's like, all right, I need somebody, I need a mole, right? She's like, I need somebody I control on this Great Ring because right now I have no control, I have no political leverage. Um, to do that, you know, Vulcan needs to oppress the Iraqo people, uh, impress, not oppress, although kind of go hand in hand here, and um, and and kill Tarn the Uncaring. That'll do it. Easier said than done, <laughs> right? We've seen of the. A rack of Mutants, I mean, we've probably seen the most of Tarn the Uncaring at this point through Hellions. Uh, dude whips, right? Dude, dude can handle his own. So that's not going to be an easy one for Vulcan, but I am very interested to see how it plays out. I think that'll be cool. All right. We gotta talk to so the threat that X-Men Red and Brotherhood sort of clash on, that is ultimately like a... um, I don't know if this is the right terminology. I think this is what she calls it, like a false flag. Uh, But it's like Abby Brand sets this up. Like she sets up a fake situation in order to, you know, manipulate these people. Um, But she brings in the progenitors, okay? Or the progenitors are brought in to cause a disturbance. Now, this was interesting to me in the moment for a few reasons. The first of which is the progenitors are a creation of Al Ewing's, okay? With Javier Rodriguez back on Royals. And Royals was a short-lived Marvel Legacy series, I think circa probably 2017. It uh, Ran for only, I don't know, 10 issues or so. Um, it's basically an Inhumans book. It's like a cosmic Inhumans book. It's got Marvel Boy involved. Uh, and, and this is one of the, it's, it's underrated too. It's not Ewing's best stuff, but it is it is underrated, especially if you like the Ultimates alluing cosmic verse, which I do. Okay, and the progenitors are, they're just like a a race of very hyper-intelligent, very hyper influential. I mean, we can call them aliens, but they don't really function like that. They're kind of like mini celestials. Okay. They're a lot like mini celestials. And what we learn in Royals is they actually created the Cree, I believe. Okay. And they were kind of trying to set up the Cree as this interesting thing. Then the Cree go and create the Inhumans. And the progenitors were like, actually, the Inhumans are cooler than you, (laughs) basically. And then they got interested in them. okay? And if you want the whole story right, you go and read Royals. But why does that matter? Well, the progenitors, that's a term that has come up a fair amount recently, first with Marvel Fresh Start with Avengers, and now again in the tease to Judgment Day because there's some solicits talking about the progenitor being tied to the Celestials. What is that about? Okay, in Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis's fresh start avengers 2018 series which i don't love okay but in the first six issues the the whole basis for superheroics and superheroes on earth in earth 616 is revealed to be by loki none, no less uh the work of a celestial an alpha celestial called the progenitor and to be specific uh, superheroes exist because the progenitor puked into earth, not making that up. That is the real reason <laughs> we, we have superheroes on earth. Really glad, uh, Aaron and co stepped in to make that canon. <laughs> it feels like a real win all around. Okay. But that, when I heard that name, I was like, what is the relationship here? Cause we've got Ewing's progenitors in Royals. We have the progenitor, Celestial who is the one who, again, sort of gave super heroics, gave all these powers on Earth, basically made everything that that we read, right? The reason Marvel Comics exist is because of this celestial sickness. Um, they're not related as of yet, okay? This is just, I'm gonna say, some lazy continuity mining by Aaron or just a total coincidence, okay? But I don't really believe that. I think it's just kind of lazy continuity mining. Aaron took something that sounded cool from the Ewing Royals run in the Cosmic side of things. And I was like, that's a good name. I'm going to use that. But now the actual progenitors are back because Ewing loves to pull his own stuff back into work, which is cool. I always dig that. And they're not related. And it's weird. (laughs) It's weird, man. Like, so I am fully expecting somebody, maybe even Ewing himself, to connect the dots here. Maybe it'll be Gillen in Judgment Day, right? Because this is where we're going. Maybe somebody will connect the dots between the progenitor the celestial and these progenitors because they are not that dissimilar as cosmic entities they really aren't um they, they have similar functions they do similar things and I, as far as I know the progenitors didn't puke up the Cree <laughs> like I don't think I don't think they Ralphed and then the Cree existed. Um, so I'm gonna say the progenitors are cooler than the progenitor I'm just gonna put that out there now I think that's fair. Uh, but in, you know, there is time, there's time to connect these dots and I'm kind of hoping for it, honestly. I, the Predator's role in X-Men Red number two is not super important. Um, basically, you know, they, they show up in a, uh, capacity similar to the Lethal Legion in the pages of sword previously, where it's just like, Hey, here's a pull. And, uh, it's just a threat, you know, just kind of a space threat that that teams can deal with. Um, but That did get me thinking. (laughs) Okay. That did get me thinking. And boy, are those things similar. So, all right. There's my X-Men Red Thoughts. I'm going to get some questions here in a second. Chug of this fine Hulk H2O, this Hulk 2O, for a moment while I read through the chat. Okay. Okay. If you want your own Hulk 2O, visit a faucet near you. This has been brought to you by ComicBookHerold.com. All right, let's talk. This question here, we got a super chat. Thanks so much for putting this in the chat. Hey, Dave, do you think Ewing X Office will revisit the Dying on Arako plot thread where mutants died and come back more serious and stronger? I feel like this has so much potential. So I think this one, my understanding of this, and I've gone back and forth on this a few times now, Right. Uh, I think my understanding of this is that only applies for Amenth. Like there's a the distinction between Araco, which is this sentient island and people, right? This whole civilization now on Mars, <laughs> okay? But used to be in a totally different dimension. It used to be in a totally different dimension, and that dimension is called Amenth. I think if you die in Amenth, if you're resurrected um, later in, in, through Kirk resurrection protocols, first off, there might be issues, or I guess that's other world. Nope. Let's throw that out. Okay. But no, if you die in a month and you get resurrected a la wild child, a la nanny, you come back, yeah, like serious and stronger and like you're hyper efficient and all that stuff. Right. I think that's the difference. That's what my saying So I don't think, cause otherwise it would be like everyone just go and die on Mars (laughs) because we're all going to come back like hyper-focused and our best possible selves. And obviously that's not something that's really been talked about yet. So I I think that is the difference. Uh, It's a good question though. And it is frankly kind of confusing even to me still. Um, Okay. Let's see. Do we have any other essential questions? Before I get going here with Immortal X-Men, can you give us some predictions on the ending of Axe? I say the five will fall. I got to give this one more thought. Um, Definitely, I think we are... I mean, basically, we're there, right? Like, this was the last Eternals issue before Judgment Day. There is going to be, like, a prologue, um, you know, setup kind of thing. Maybe I'll do the the predictions around that time. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I think will the five fall... Um, Sure, that would make a lot of sense. I think uh, we could, you know, because we got Hope involved in the Quiet Council, they're kind of fracturing. It seems like a major, major weakness of of the X-Men right now. I mean, obviously we've been building through the other X-Books to resurrection protocols getting outed for some time. I could definitely see that being a follow-up to Judgment Day. That's been set up. It would also tie in, I think, in a lot of ways to, you know, like could, could part of the fallout potentially also be... You know, Icarus or one of the Eternals revealing how their own resurrection protocols work, which if you've read the first volume, I I won't spoil it because I don't think as many people have read Eternals here, Um, but there's a dark secret at the heart of the Eternals' own, and they're not called resurrection protocols, but it's the same thing. Um, there's a dark secret there. Like, what if one of them, what if Icarus, for example, is finally just like, I can't take it anymore. This is breaking me up. We're going to put that out into the world. We're going to let people know about that. Simultaneously, X-Men, Krakon resurrection protocols get out there. Like, that that bombshell news, quote unquote, um, which is obviously like, like, there's not a lot of dramatic irony in there for us because we've known that since House of X number five or whatever it is. Um, like, I, I could see that information being put out there as opposed like, like, here's the thing. Okay. The Eternals are going to be correcting excess deviation. I mean, after the end of Eternals number 12 today, it seems very clear that their new prime leader, um, is going to put them on a mission to give them focus, to curb excess deviation, to give them purpose. That's going to mean taking out Krakoa that's going to end. You know, there's literally a scene where it's like, oh who are all these deviants that they're going to, that's going to be the Krakoans. Okay. That's going to be mutant and kind. Um, this thing's not going to end with the Eternals having eradicated mutant kind. <laughs> like that feels relatively unlikely. Um, but could they really mess up? Kirk Cohen functions and facilities and relationships with the world? Yes. So it, I, I, I'm going to go with resurrections being unveiled like easier than the five falling per se. Um, but I got to think about it more. Cause that is a good question. And I do want to play, I think with maybe some predictions about what what might actually be coming out of this because there's a lot of potential. And again, like I do think Judgment Day is going to be good. And seriously, if you're m- even mildly hyped and you're going to be playing along with the X-Men crossovers in Judgment Day, like read Eternals. Like you're not going to get as much out. First off, it's a great comic. I love it and I recommend it. But like you are not going to get as much out of Judgment Day if you have not read the Gil and Ravage Eternals. I promise. I promise you, you will not enjoy the event as much um and and you're gonna feel mildly confused probably probably if you don't dig it you don't dig it right but i really like it but like you know it's definitely gonna help i think with understanding and also like it's got a ton of thanos in it and if you're not into that like i'm sorry we are just not on the same page (laughs) we're not even close to the same page love me my guy thanos uh okay good questions um keep getting more in here and i'll I'll get to as many as i can all right immortal x-men number two Writer Kieran Gillen, artist Lucas Wernick, colors David Curiel, letters by Clayton Coles. (sighs) About in 2019 and a little bit in 2020, we had this really cool thing going in Marvel Comics where I could not decide between a 1A and a 1B favorite best of Marvel between Ewing's Immortal Hulk and Hickman's X-Men. 2019, this was the most prominent, right? Because you had House of X and Powers 10. As the X-Men series went on, it was a little easier. Um, Mortal Hawk's better. But but at the time, it's really cool to have like, hey, we've got two writers, peak of their powers, doing all time. These are going in the canon, these are going in the best of lists type runs on these different properties. We're kind of potentially in that territory. We have that potential here with Gillian and Ewing trading punches on X-Men Red and Immortal X-Men number two. Right. And I like these books coming out the same week because it's basically like. Which one of these great creators, which one of these excellent storytelling, you know, storytellers, is going to write the better X-Men book today? And I think we're going to see on a month-to-month cadence, like, they're going to trade blows. Like, round one, I think, went to Gillen. I thought Immortal X-Men number one was so flipping good. And it actually made X-Men Red number one uh, somewhat less impressive to me. Because even though I knew, like, co- cognitively, it was a really good comic, I didn't like it as much as Immortal X-Men number one, Right? This week I had the inverse experience. I think X Men Red number two is a better comic. Okay, I think it does a lot more. I think it's more effective. I think the dialogue's fantastic. The character marks are fantastic. That said, World X Men number two is really good. It's still really flipping good. Um, this one is the Hope Summers centric issue, so we actually have Gillen in his first two issues revisiting two of the characters that he's probably the most well known for for his time writing X Men stuff in the late 2000s and early uh, 2010s, right? Because in the first issue, we had Sinister. Obviously, everything is Sinister, and his Uncanny X-Men run is like, that's the that's the turning point. That's the level-up moment for that character. And then here with Hope Summers, you know, Gillen wrote um, Generation Hope. Like, he's written Hope as a prime character, as a core character. We haven't seen Hope Summers get to do cable stuff, like, at all, <laughs> you know? In this era, it's nice to see somebody return to the character, who's like, yeah, she's not just this character who should be like hanging out with four pals and really busy doing like desk work <laughs> all the time. Um, she belongs on on the Quiet Council. And not only that, she belongs in action. Thought it was really cool here how one thing I've been saying too that I really want to see from Immortal X-Men, it's been more teased than, than acted on, but you see Destiny and her visions uh, not used in a passive way. Right, it's not just like Destiny being like, "Oh, I anticipate," uh, and I, <laughs> I guess I don't need to do my my old Destiny, Right, it's not like I anticipate that I, there will be an incident here. Right, <laughs> she's less old now, right? This is this is hot Destiny summer, um, but she's like, "Hey, there's gonna be a, a, a thing, and uh, you know, you should be there." Selene's um, gonna be at this place with Kovanakaba. And you should be like, Destiny is driving action because she has this vision. She is making the thing happen even as she's predicting it. That's interesting to me, right? Destiny actually controlling the vision in some capacity. That thing doesn't happen unless she tells Hope Summers that. Like, it just doesn't happen. Um, Hope hears it. She borrows magic powers. She drops through a teleporting disc and she snipes Celine, and ends the threat of this. uh, What did Selene do? Celine made the Krakoan external gate A sentient kaiju, which when attacked, threatened multiple dimensions, (laughs) multiple realities, because it's a gate that offers, you know, access between dimensions, between Otherworld and Krakoa. Wild stuff. Selene did all of that because she is, um, she got rejected (laughs) for the council, you know, in favor of hope. Uh, so that's, that's pretty wild. I gotta say, like, it continues to be... Incredible that Celine is escaping the pit. Uh, the pit still seems to be an option. So despite my theory last week that like maybe post-Sabertooth, that won't even really be a thing unless they're just like playing it up for appearances. That still seems to be around. That still seems to be an option. So <laughs> Celine has no business escaping the pit. She had no business prior to this series because, again, she killed lots of humans. They were like really annoying guys, <laughs> in the pages of, of, what was it, Captain America, um, but she killed lots of humans, that's the first law, kill no man, she killed hundreds of men, Uh, if not, if, whatever, like, it was a big number, somehow escaped the pit there, uh, now she's back, she's threatening all of Krakoa, so that definitely violates respect this sacred land, we have three laws, <laughs> she's broken two of them, Uh, and somehow they're like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to mess with a trial, ugh. It's so time consuming. So Celine's going to skirt that again. I guess, again, it's like, whatever. She's a fun character. Keep her around. Fine. Um, This issue is super action oriented. I think Lucas Wernick, David Curiel, they do a super nice job uh, making it appealing. Mr. Sinister powering up as a very out in the open chimera was interesting, was a little surprising as a choice, right? Like he's kind of been keeping his chimera stuff uh, under wraps, you know, like he's been keeping it a bit of a secret, but here he's just like, nope, I'm going full. He looked actually, he looked a ton like Weapon H, uh, the Department H character um, in like a, a weirdly readable Greg Pak written book. Not weirdly, like it's, it's Greg Pak. So it's like, of course, it's gonna be super readable, but it seemed like the dumbest idea <laughs> to do like a Hulk Wolverine. uh, And that series actually was okay. But anyway, that's basically what Sinister turned himself into with like, you know, he's got like a psychop blast out of his diamond. and he's got Wolverine claws and he's just a big old Hulk. And he kind of plays the hero, even though that's not really his intention. So fun, sinister moment as well. Uh, The Summers Protocols were also extremely fun. That was a good gag by Gillen. I'm wondering, like, this book, Immortal X-Men, I think Gillen can find sort of a sweet spot between the Hickman X-Men and the conceptual sci-fi and the political bickering of the Quiet Council and Hellions and the zaniness and the goofiness and just the the grin, the impish grin on his face you know of writing gags like the summer protocols where of course he has a multi-volume written document about how to respond to kaiju <laughs> that that was really fun stuff i love that it felt in character with scott uh that was that was really good so i'm fully expecting to continue greatly enjoying this book. I think the approach of doing like, you know, kind of a POV through each of the Quiet Council members as this book goes is really going to give it legs. Um we definitely we need to see what's up with Destiny. You know, that's the biggest one. I think that's the next issue. Um you know she's repeating the the John Cale lyrics again, right? You're a ghost. Uh there's something going on here with her visions being all muddled. And at first it's kind of like well it's because of Celine's kaiju but then, it, by the end of it, it's like, well, maybe that stuff's happening anyway. I'm very curious what we're gonna do with, you know, the sort of like through the eras, through time, through immortal, through immortal mutants' lives. How are all these visions and incidences going to overlap and connect? What does she mean? Why, why does she keep saying, with Sinister, we need to work together, right? What is that stuff gonna build to? I'm totally here for it. I'm very interested. And I definitely want to see all these things connect. So, yeah, it's going to continue to be a good book. But again, I think this week, X Men Red was the stronger of the two. And that's a really cool situation to be in where we have these two powerhouse 1A, 1B books at the top of the line, where it's like, which one of these is going to be the best each week? We don't, or best each month? We don't know. Um, but I'm super excited to find out. I'm super excited to find out. Uh, so, I'm seeing a question here. Since we're not going with Celine, who do you think will be the major magic user on the council? Uh, I mean, I think the council's full up, isn't it? Um, you know, it's not going to be Celine. I, it's not going to be Magic. Oh, no, no, they're still talking about her, aren't they? Because they're talking about Magic here, and they're like, she's a war captain. Also, like, as we find out in New Mutants, which we'll get to in a second, like, she's still the ruler of Limbo. Like, Magic is busy. It's rude to even ask if she'd be on the Quiet Council. Um, <laughs> but who, who then could it be? I mean, it can't be Richter, because he's not really a high enough profile, plus he's in Knights of X. Uh Who else do we have who is into the magic side? Of, I don't know. I mean, do, I don't know that it super matters that you have somebody that understands that so much as... For me, Celine was co- a cool pitch because she was the only one who captured, you know, Apocalypse's longevity, right? And just sort of understanding of ways the world works for that long. I don't know. Like, it's it's interesting. How many more characters do we even have that that kind of could potentially fill this role you know who are even the poor even in consideration i haven't given a ton of thought um but it doesn't feel like we have a heck of a lot of players out there who really would fit the bill effectively for another quiet council seat i'm sure there's somebody i'm overlooking um but right now it's, it's not easy to think of somebody to come to mind so if you got some ideas definitely get them in here in the chat i'll take a look i'm seeing wanda shout it out that would be interesting I don't think we're there yet, right, in terms of, like, <laughs> the Great Pretender's Reconciliation Plan. But that one would actually fit really well, which would be cool. Um, you know, magic magic would be a good choice, but I don't... I don't. Well, I mean... So, okay, so in New Mutants number 25, she's trying to hand over the reins of Limbo to Madeline Pryor. Okay, so we finally got Maddie resurrected. Uh, we decided that, like, yes, clones can have souls and maddie's resurrected as her own person uh retains the underboob, and is now gonna get the keys to limbo via magic because magic's like i don't want this place anymore <laughs> i never did um and yalla at rod Reis, the team rod rice and the team like they're doing cool cool work on this book um i it, new Mutants looks so stinking good like i just i can't get over it you got colors here by ruth redmond um you got flashback art by jan durasima you got letters by travis lanham like new Mutants is, the best-looking X-Men book every time Rod's involved. I mean, it just is. I don't, I don't think there's really any debate about that. Um, I like kasara stuff a lot, too. Maybe Cassara would be the rival, right, in consideration of, like, who's who's just crushing it the most, like, the far and away. But, like, yeah, this book looks awesome, and it's setting the stage for a really interesting magic. In Limbo Plot, I think the direction of trying to get Iliana separate from traumatic past at the hands of Belasco, Sim, the whole limbo ordeal, um, trying to acknowledge that past, uh, of of those 80s Claremont stories, but then also like give this character a new direction. Um, that's great, that's good. I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out. Bringing Madeline Pryor involved is a really interesting choice because you know, the last time she was connected to limbo, and it's talked about here in this issue, uh, she Kidnapped a bunch of babies, <laughs> turned them into a pentagram, tried to kill her own baby, which we now know is, is Nathan Summers, a.k.a. Gable, um, and just full out Inferno on Earth, right? 1989 Inferno event on like a straight up revenge mission against Scott Summers, which was earned. Mr. Sinister, which was also earned. <laughs> like those things were right. But you know what? Like, actually, if you've seen Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, like that's Madeline Pryor. You know, like that's her whole deal, except instead of saving, instead of being about saving the kids, she's actually like, no, I will kill them to, get, to kill everyone else, uh, which is, you know, generally frowned upon. Um, but yeah, no, super interesting choice. Uh, and, and again, like if you told me three years ago, like I oh, had yeah, new mutants, uh, it'll be an issue where it's Danny, Moonstar, uh, Magic, Rain, and Madeline Pryor in Limbo, and it's going to be one of your favorite comics that week. You know, like that would have been a, I would not have bought that, but in this era and the way this creative team is handling it, uh, it totally works. Totally works and I'm into it. I dug it. Okay. So yes, could could magic come out of this and um and be free of the shackles to limbo and then join the quiet council? Maybe, but I I think the timing of that is a little dicey, right? I think that's gonna take a little while. And then I think, you know, I think Gillen's gonna need somebody faster than that. I think Gillen's gonna need somebody in immortal x-men sooner um wanda would be super interesting wanda would be super interesting that would probably be the most fun uh but i i don't see it i think that's too fast and i think they probably don't want to jump to that yet same question here have i seen karen gillen's interview with the pop verse it gives some interesting insight into judgment day i haven't read it yet uh the pop verse is a new website that just launched today actually it's sponsored by read pop if you know them, they uh, they do a bunch of the Comic-Cons around the country. You may or may not see some uh, some freelance writing there from yours truly here in the coming days. Um, but no, I should check that out. I will read that. I'm, I'm curious, too. Comic-Herald, this issue got me wanting to read a lot about Exodus. Any reading, Rex? I mean, the thing about Exodus is, like, this is kind of the best Exodus era. Like, Hickman and Gillen have taken the most interest in Exodus of almost anyone, with the exception, and this comes up a ton, of Mike Carey. Mike Carey has some pretty good X-Men stuff. It's after it's after the Supernova stuff with Chris Pacello, uh, which introduced the children of the vault, and but before Messiah Complex, probably, I think it's actually when they're searching for Destiny's diaries. I think there's a thing where, like, Exodus and some crew are searching for Destiny's Diaries. I mean, the the lesson here is, as always, just, like, read the whole Mike Carey X-Men thing. But I think if you're looking for it, it's going to be, oh, man, like 2006, 2007. It's going to be the series called X-Men, which ran from the year 2004 to 2007. And it's going to be after, whenever the Children of the Vault story arc ends. uh, I'm going to guess X-Men number 95. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. No, that can't be right. 195? Oh, no. No, Now I've put myself in a corner. Regardless, that's That's when that comes out. I like that arc. Otherwise, you've got, you know, 90s Exodus is when he becomes big, when he becomes the big acolyte of Magneto. Um, There's, uh, it's not a good story, but there's a story about, what is it? It's an invasion of Genosha. Uh, Blood Ties. It's an Avengers and X-Men crossover. Uh, That's got big Exodus moments. But yeah, I mean, otherwise you got to read a lot of 90s X-Men and get into Exodus. So if you're more into modern comics, the the Mike Carey run and then the current stuff would be the my top picks. Seen here, Exodus was great. In the Messiah War, there you go, read the Messiah War. That's a good pick as well. Uh, beast knows magic. Get out of town. <laughs> no beast, no beasts on this Quiet Council. Uh, that would make for good comics. That would make for good drama. But no, thank you. No, thank you. Let's see. What else do we got? Magic, Wanda, and Selene are the only mutant-centric magic, magic users. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, there's got to be some more than that. Uh, but I, I honestly... I don't know. Magic isn't doesn't play that big a role in mutant stories. You know? Uh, it kind of... You know, much like DC. Like, it's kind of... You got your DC Dark, you know, on the Marvel side. You got your... You got your magic players. You got your Wanda, your Doctor Strange, your Doctor Doom, um, your, your Hellstrom... Uh, Brother Voodoo, right? Um, who else? Who else plays in that sphere? Uh, phew, those are the ones that are coming to mind. Wong, obviously, you know. But, like, you don't get a ton more than that. Uh, and you definitely don't get it in the X-Men side of things. Unless I'm just totally blanking on somebody. So, I don't know. I don't know who that would be. Pixie? Okay. i seen Pixie brought up. <laughs> I do like Pixie. Uh, I don't anticipate seeing her on the Quiet Council. Ooh, is Wiccan considered a mutant? It's a stretch, but maybe, you know what? The, the whole status of the twins of Billy and Tommy Wanda's kids, that is so like still up in the air and unaddressed and can they be on Krakoa? Should they be on Krakoa? Will they? Uh, if you do, here's the thing. If you do that, you kind of got to do the whole thing bringing Wanda in and I suspect they're going to stay away from that for some time. All right. So, all right. I got one big question here coming in, get in uh, some more if you got them. And, and we're going to hit that Hulk H2O right now. And just uh, listen to the sounds of these swigs, please. <sighs> oh, that's the stuff. Again, you can find it at a faucet near you. It's brought to you by comicbookherald.com. I don't know if this gag is working, but I'm going to keep doing it because it reminds me to promote my website. <laughs> so uh, listen, like we have so much good writing. We have so many good reading orders and guides that i put together over the year. You can find them My Marvelous Year Club. It's a podcast I love where we read through the whole Marvel Universe from its origins to today. we got a lot of good stuff on comicbookherald.com. If you like the YouTube channel, give it a look. I bet you'll find something you like, something useful. Uh, all right, let's see. What else do we got? Super Chat came in here. Probably a dumb question, but do you think Quicksilver has a future with the mutants? Similar to his sister. Hmm. Everyone always forgets about Quicksilver. Nobody talks about him. Nobody wants to deal with poor Pietro. <sighs> do I? Do he, he's kind of like the twins for me. Where if you're gonna do the Pietro bit, you kind of got to do Wanda as well. Um, I think eventually, yes, we'll see those characters tied to because, like, here's the thing: like they're not doing other stuff, right? Like they're not busy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Quicksilver is not busy. Wanda is not busy. Neither of the twins are especially busy right now. Um, Billy tends to have the most going on, but like, there's not, you know, much, there's not much in the young Avengers and the cosmic sphere. So yeah, why not? Right. Like bring them in. I don't know. I, I think there's like something big's got to happen where they need them, get him involved, get him to help. And then let him live there. I, I think we could see Quicksilver. I guess the thing for me is like, am I interested in that? And with Pietro, honestly, the answer is generally no. Um, he's had some interesting moments, obviously, with like X Factor in uh, the Peter David era, where he's kind of, you know, a, an obnoxious counterbalance to some of the characters there. But for me, for my money, you know, if I'm going to see any of those characters, I'm definitely most interested in Billy because he's got tremendous magical abilities because he's got these connections to the King of Space, his husband Teddy, um, and then you know, and then Wanda, obviously, right? Because she's she's just the most interesting. Um, sorry about you, Pietro and Tommy. Let's see what happened to Luna Maximoff. Is she on the moon with her Mama Crystal? Are the Inhumans even on the moon? I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I do not know what the deal is with the Inhumans. I don't know the Marvel editorial even knows what is the deal with the Inhumans uh well what did happen to luna maximoff magneto's granddaughter once upon a time i have no idea no idea that's a funny but actually very good question okay let's see uh yeah so i'm seeing here's questions about the sword so the end of new mutants number 25 here uh it ends with iliana going to uh, chops him up with her soul sword and he blocks it with whatever sort of magical thing he developed at the beginning of this comic. It seemed like he was talking to a silhouetted figure. Um, every implication would be that was Belasco, but I don't know why you make that a secret. Like, that seems really obvious, so maybe it was somebody else. I guess maybe that's why you make it a secret, to make people like me think too hard about it. But she tries to take down Sam and Sim blocks her with this new magic thing, and it shatters her soul sword, or at least that was the, the vibe I got. Uh, that's a big deal. The soul sword is what gives Ileana the power, gives her the right. What gives you the right? That gives her the right soul sword to rule Limbo, and it seems to have been destroyed. She is immediately, immediately, like, scared. And we don't see Ileana Rasputin scared these days, right? Like, that is, she is tough as nails. Um, So that is clearly something she was definitely not anticipating and should have big implications now as Ileana, Danny Rain. And, uh, and Maddie try to escape Limbo. It should make for some good comics. I definitely expect that. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, like, I, I thought the structuring of New Mutants, where you had these, uh, you know, kind of current moments of what's going on in Limbo with these storybook-type insertions of, like, Ileana's past, I thought that was all really smart, effective storytelling uh, for this book. Again, if you kind of don't know Ileana's deal, I think I've talked about it in videos in the past, but, like, I you kind of have. It's not my favorite, is the thing. Like so, the Chris Claremont written. I think it's called Ileana and Storm because like they were they were like we can't just or Magic and Storm, right? But it's it's a Magic mini series from like nineteen eighty four. Um, It's really essential. I mean, it, it gets called back to so much. There's an Uncanny X Men issue which sets it up. It's like one sixty two ish range, but it's it's in that. And that can't be it. That's Brood stuff. But it's it's somewhere maybe it's one sixty eight. It's Claremont written stuff. Um, but, uh, but anyway, like those issues are all the stuff with her and Belasco. I don't know, maybe from context clues, you got plenty, uh, and you don't need to go back and read those, but I just feel like it's so heavily referential. Cause it's like, that's the origin, right? That's all we've ever gotten. Um, and this is actually fleshing that out. And it, it's not a time period or a space in Ileana's life that is frequently explored or talked about, you know, generally it's just taken for granted. Like, yeah, she survived that. and She's out now and she's got a cool, cool, cool sword. And, you know, sometimes she has hooves, <laughs> right? But this is actually looking into like, wait, what did she do? What did she read? What did she learn? What was that life like um, from new perspectives and new creators? And uh, I'm here for it. It it should be good. So those three comics, X-Men Red, Immortal X-Men, and New Mutants number 25, good stuff, good comics. Um, There were also technically three, really just two other X-Men comics today. Like I mentioned, there's X-Force number 28, and there was Wolverine number 21. Wolverine number 21 continues the Wolvie-Deadpool team-up comic, um, that is my preferred of the two, definitely. I, I actually thought Wolverine number twenty was pretty good. Um, it was it was funny in surprising ways because the Deadpool inclusion. This continues that I thought less effectively, uh, but if you enjoyed that first issue, I, I suspect you'll want to keep reading it again. I've said this a few times, but Kubert, I think it's Andy, is doing uh, awesome layout stuff with that book, with Wolverine. Like that has been a great looking comic. So that piece of it is always fun. X Force, I was, I'm pretty. Checked out on for sure. Uh, the Percyverse stuff, you know, kind of post X Lives, X Deaths. I'm just not invested in and I'm not enjoying. Um, again, if you've dug this run to this point, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't still. Uh, I did really like the cover by Josh Casera there with uh, Quentin Choir and the, the pink juggernaut armor. Uh, I think it was, you know, modeled after like a Liefeld cover, even. Um, I like the Omega Knot. That's cool. But yeah, otherwise, not, not my favorite book. And then the other one we had today, which I have not read yet because the first issue was such a turnoff for me. Um, I don't talk about my turnoffs a lot, but one of them is when one of my favorite series of all time, <laughs> Ecstatics. Uh, when the creators return and do a first issue, that is like really boring. And that's how I felt about The Excellent. Uh, it was it was a bummer, um, but I do, I don't know, it's got Doc Strange on the cover Mike art is always amazing to look at. So like maybe I'll check out issue three, but I haven't yet. So if anybody out there is reading the excellent and uh, I, I don't think it's going to be super important to anything that's going on in Krikoa, you know, I think they're just going to do their thing. Um, but if anybody's reading it and it's like, hey, you should check it out. It's actually good. Uh, I will I will listen to that. I don't know that I will do it, but I will hear you. Let's see what else, what else? All right, get in your questions. I'm going to do one more slug of water and then uh, and then I think we're going to wrap it. says here, Lila Cheney and Manifold, are their powers the same? If so, who's Omega? Powers are very similar uh, in terms of, like, the ability to teleport people vast distances. I think Manifolds are probably more complex in terms of what he can do with space and time. Neither of them, though, are Omega-level mutants because they aren't on the chart. Which book is comparable to Hellions within Destiny of X? Uh, I was talking about Immortal X-Men. I was talking about Immortal X-Men, and I'm saying that because Gillen has a similar impish cheekiness and sense of humor. It's not the same kind of book in that, you know, Hellions was the Suicide Squad book, right? Immortal X-Men is still the Quiet Council book. It is the Succession book. It is the Politics book. Uh, But I think if you're looking for that brand of humor, it's probably the closest you're going to get of anything in the X-Line right now. Okay, seeing some confirmation of my great opinions. That is always appreciated. All right, that's three drinks. If you had three drinks or more, congratulations. Uh, my pick tonight, I got Warriors over Mavs. Uh, Luka's so fun to watch, but I got the Warriors winning. I'm, I'm rooting for a Warriors Heat finals at this point. Uh, I'm very anti-Celtics. It was weird. I got to tell you, it was weird after the Bucks decimated my Bulls just just blood like here's the thing we had I, i've probably talked about this already we had two games where we looked amazing we looked like we could hang with the bucks middleton gets hurt i'm talking with my family i'm like holy cow i think we can beat the bucks and then they just just ruined us they just ruined us for three games it was a weird thing to go through that and then turn around and have to root for the bucks because i just like the celtics so much uh, but i was rooting hard rooting hard for Giannis and co to no avail uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely rooting out hard for the Heat as well. Jimmy Buckets, at least, right? I got that Bulls connection on the Heat. So Heat Warriors, that's my pick. Who do I want to win? <sighs> the Warriors have all their rings. Like, they're they're fun to watch, and I'm kind of rooting for them again just because I've always liked Steph, and I like Steve Kerr. Um, but I, 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 oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. i got to think about that one. Don't pressure me. Don't pressure me. Uh, even though nobody asked that question, I asked it myself. <laughs> okay. Who's the MVP X character of the month? could finish it on that one let's see mvp x character of the month is going to go it's i mean the temptation here is definitely to give it to mr sinister for that department h glow up but you know who i'm gonna give it to i'm gonna give it to manifold i'm gonna give it to manifold for seeing through abby brand schemes for standing up to her for threatening to go back to the avengers and for not joining x-men red that was a cool moment that was great storm had bigger moments had flashier moments. I dug that Manifold moment a lot. Congratulations, Manifold, for the X Character of the Month award. All right, let's go Heat. Let's go Warriors. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll be back next week talking X-Men comics. Thanks for uh, joining, and enjoy the comics.